Welcome to the Green Tea Party, where we discuss conservative solutions to environmental problems. I'm Hannah Rogers. My name is Zach Torpy. And I'm Katie Zakreski. Together, we'll guide you through complex issues and provide strategies to address them, all while remaining faithful to our conservative values. Oh, and we'll have fun while doing it, too. Yeah, it's a party. So grab your mugs and we'll pour the tea. You're probably wondering, what is the Green Tea Party? Well, the Green Tea Party is a radio show by young conservatives for young conservatives who grapple with their political identities and their love for the environment. Together, we talk about the ways that conservatives can embrace their love for the environment, the free market, and their faith. I like to tell people that the Green Tea Party is not your grandma's radio show. We're a group of young folks facing challenges as young conservatives and tackling a changing political climate and a changing environment and what that looks like for us. But your grandma is more than welcome to listen with you. The topic of today's show is the ever-controversial nuclear energy How does it fit into the picture for conservatives, environmentalists, and conservative environmentalists? So you're probably wondering, why us? Well, the reason is because the three of us have met each other through doing environmental work, and we realized that as much as we love conservative topics and environmental topics, it was really hard to find something out there that was a combination of both for young people like us. So being the folks that we are, we decided to make something for the folks who are looking for something like that. My name is Katie Zakreski. I'm from central Arkansas. And while I don't have the science background that my fellow co-hosts here have, I do have a really great passion for the environment, doing environmental work and grassroots work in particular. I kind of stumbled into this stuff when I was in college and originally was a climate denier. I know that I like going on a lot of nature walks with other conservatives in our area, with my college Republicans chapter here locally that I helped found. Hopefully when it cools down a little bit, we'll do a little bit more of that. How about y'all? My name is Hannah, and I grew up here in Utah. I study environmental science at the University of Utah. What really got me into environmental advocacy was when I was young, I was going to watch Bambi. The preview to Bambi was Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth. If you look at the 10 hottest years ever measured, they've all occurred in the last 14 years. And the hottest of all was 2005. That preview scarred me. And I realized there wasn't a lot of people that had similar values to me engaging in this conversation around climate change. So I've been really engaged on the grassroots level. I've also worked for Senator Romney and Senator Lee in the Senate. I work for Citizens Climate Lobby, and I've been really engaged in the conservative environmental sphere for a very long time. Fabulous. And and Zach, you've got an engineering background. Am I correct on that? Yeah. So I went to Stony Brook University, got my engineering degree there in environmental engineering. I also worked on getting my master's during the pandemic in environmental management. I grew up right next to a, a nature preserve and used to spend my time walking my dogs there, going there, catching snakes, catching frogs, and it really blossomed my love for the environment. As the greatest nation in, in the world, the U.S. should be the nation that leads the push to save the environment and save the world and develop the future of the environmental industry. We shouldn't be left behind by China. We should be leading for the future and developing the standards that the rest of the world can follow. We can lead by example. Fabulous. And for our listeners, you will frequently hear me say that my co-hosts are the smart people in the room. They're the folks who have been on the hill and who have done all the studying. I'm just somebody who really likes birds and trees (laughs) and flowers. So I'll turn to you guys for the facts, and then I will just paint a very pretty word picture for you all. Well, it's interesting that you mention going on walks with other conservatives. Me and a bunch of other grassroots organizers here in Utah annually have a hike with Representative Stewart. 
this hike is just all about conservation and climate change, combining our conservative values with values around the environment. Hannah, didn't y'all just have Rep Curtis go on a couple nature hikes back when it wasn't like 4 billion degrees outside? Yeah, we did that in May. Um, We're likely to do it again in September. And then I'm seeing Representative Curtis in like two weeks for another event that is environmentally minded. Yeah. Oh, that's fabulous. One of our uh, members of Congress here, uh, Congressman French Hill, he's a really big Boy Scout, big outdoorsman. I'm hoping that we can wrangle him into going on a nature hike with us. So we'll see if we can do that. Zach, are you having a, any success wrangling your local members of Congress into going on a nature trip with y'all? <laughs> well, I'm still new in the Denver, so I'm still adjusting and uh, finding my niche here. <laughs> yeah, working your way up to asking your member of Congress to go on a hike <laughs> in a polite way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not just knocking on the door. Right. I, I do walk past the governor's mansion all the time. It's a very there nice There you place. go. Yeah. Tell him to go walk the perimeter with you. That'll work. I saw him watering when we were in a drought and we were not supposed to be watering. Oh, just going to well, knock we... on his door and complain. <laughs> <laughs> right. Zach, tell us a little bit about your background with nuclear. I understand you uh, had a bit of an experience with that growing up. I grew up next to Indian Point, which is a very large nuclear power plant in New York that powered over a quarter of the electricity for New York City, supplying 20 billion kilowatts per year, which the city has now replaced with three natural gas plants as it transitions to renewable energy and doesn't acknowledge that now it's just producing more carbon dioxide oh, and man. more pollutants becoming more reliant on Canada for, for natural gas energy. Mm. But this was an example of the pursuit of perfect backfiring on environmental groups rather than accepting the good of clean, emissionless nuclear energy. And even worse, it's taking a lot of that opportunity away from American soil locations, it sounds like. Yeah. Well, Zach, I have a question for you. Do you have an arm growing out of your back? <laughs> much to the surprise i do not <laughs> what but, i thought that everyone who grew up by nuclear power plants had some sort of weird birth effect yeah and like all the animals around you were like inedible when they glow in the dark you didn't have any of that where you were from so our river is not safe to go into but that was not the fault of the nuclear power plant it was the fault of General Electric dumping millions of pounds of PCBs into the uh, river. You know, just like your average day getting rid of your garbage oh, yeah, and destroying you know, the environment. We love casually. that. Great. <laughs> yeah, we don't need drinking that. water. We do not need drinking water. <laughs> <laughs> Recreational activities, who is she? Yeah. So I've never I've never swam in one of the most beautiful rivers in our country. I've never swam, never drank, never touched it. Except with like special pants <laughs> doing like oh. environmental sampling. <laughs> <laughs> right, but it's easier to blame the nuclear folks, isn't it? Yeah. 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 The nuclear plant was right there. It, it was scary. It was intimidating. Our teachers used to talk about it. We used to have drills where we practiced where we would evacuate to if the nuclear plant had a meltdown. So it sounds like everything surrounding nuclear energy has like horrific horror stories and everything related to safety. It seems like that's been a trend across time. I was actually talking to my grandma about this episode and i was saying like oh i'm doing an episode on nuclear energy and she shudders and she's like don't you know that when i was in elementary school we had to hide under our desks because of (laughs) nuclear energy (laughs) and i'm like grandma that's called nuclear bombs they're dramatically different (laughs) yeah it's a little bit different it's gonna be a little bit harder to power our homes with that 
It's interesting that we're releasing this episode following the releasing of the Oppenheimer movie, which is about the father of the atomic bomb. Obviously, nuclear power and nuclear bombs are dramatically different things. We've done ourselves a disservice by falsely equating those two things within our collective conscious. For, for a lot of people, it's hard to separate just because it's ever-present, especially with the Ukraine war and Russia. Everyone's wondering how close Putin's finger is hovering to the big red button. Yeah, It's one of the ways that our species could end is the nuclear apocalypse. But nuclear energy has been tied to this, even though it is a clean energy source and can supply energy without destroying the world and is rather clean compared to other sources of energy, such as natural gas and coal. I agree. And I think that if we're going to make the argument that nuclear is American and nuclear is green, we owe it to ourselves and to our audience to kind of go through some of those myths about nuclear safety and discuss them and maybe even debunk them. The big downturn in support for nuclear energy started around the time of the Three Mile Island accident in 1979. An unexpected release of more radiation today from the Three Mile Island nuclear power plant has led to a series of consequences. Certain people have been advised to evacuate. Others have been urged to remain indoors. Telephone lines in the Harrisburg area are jammed and immediate highways are too as more people decide to leave. This was an example of poor maintenance, human error leading to continued mistakes. The cooling water contaminated with radiation drained from an open valve that was reading as clothes from the power plant, which drained all the coolant from the core, which began to overheat and start to melt down. The automatic safety systems actually started to open valves and send in emergency water to stop this and stop the meltdown. But due to human error, the operators misinterpreted what was going on on the, on the computers and the signals and stopped the emergency water because they thought the water was already in there because the valve was reading closed and it was already cooling down. So they stopped the automatic safety systems from stopping the, uh, the meltdown. This led to uh, the Three Mile Island almost melting down. So not to throw shade, but for all of our non-science people out there, it sounds like a bunch of unqualified people um, not paying attention kind of led to every imaginable worst case scenario until somebody who had cracked a book saw what was going on. Is that a pretty good synopsis, would you say? Yeah, it was a string of maintenance errors, human human mistake. Homer Simpson and, working at Three Mile Island. And- yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> so follow, following this, following this, they actually had to raise the the training and guidelines for these operators because they were they made mistakes. Originally, they didn't have to understand the theory and everything that was going on behind the nuclear. And after that, they were like, oh, we should probably make sure these guys understand basic physics and what's going on with nuclear physics, so that they, they don't destroy something. Uh, Again, non-science person. Uh, Everything that I've read about Three Mile Island is like the end of the world. Every documentary is horrifying. Well, it definitely wasn't the end of the world because it didn't result in absolutely any deaths. You're kidding me. I don't believe that for a minute because I would have said this killed like three states worth of people. Are you serious? I mean, I would, I first, when I thought of Three Mile Island, I was like, man, this had to be like really bad. I, I am Googling this. I'm Googling this to double check this right now. Um, and there are also like hardly any measurable health or environmental impact. Only yeah, about you're right. Human- wow. Yeah, I know. I am right. <laughs> but the thing is, like, the the media will grab onto these stories and then sensationalize them and then scare people out of like viable energy alternatives. And it's like, man, you're doing us a disservice. Furthermore, only two million people were exposed to about one millirem of radiation, and one millirem of radiation is less than a chest x-ray so if you're going to the doctor's office to get an x-ray 
that's about as bad as it was for two million people around Three Mile Island. And we do those routinely. So it really wasn't, I mean, I don't want to say that it wasn't like a mistake and it wasn't kind of an accident, but it really wasn't that bad. And it led to the implementation of a lot of strict training and plant safety design. So even though this disaster wasn't that bad, we've gotten even better since then. 12 days before Three Mile Island happened, China Syndrome came out, which was a movie that theorized that if a nuclear meltdown occurred, the radioactive material would melt through the entire plant, through the earth, and go all the way to China. The China Syndrome. Today, only a handful of people know what it really means. And they're scared. Soon, you will know. That is some hilariously bad timing on everybody's <laughs> part. Zach, what do you mean? That doesn't actually happen? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I thought that was a real thing. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I didn't. This led to a huge drop off in support for nuclear energy and really spurred the anti-nuclear movement in the um, 70s and 80s that really stopped production and new construction of nuclear power plants. If you look at the construction of power, uh, nuclear power plants, it peaks around 78, 79 and just steeply declines immediately after this accident because no one wanted nuclear in their backyard. They were terrified of it. And what could happen? What could go wrong? Could a meltdown actually happen in the U.S.? This was later worsened by um, the Chernobyl meltdown in 86, which was magnitudes worse and was actually a terrible mistake and was a horrible accident that could have easily been prevented. The Russian scientists, they acted like they were trying to make the plant explode. They did everything they needed to make the plant explode. So so Chernobyl kind of sounds like if Three Mile Island actually didn't have somebody who cracked the book and Homer Simpson actually didn't take a lunch break at Chernobyl. Um, yep. So so that makes me think, okay, if the movies about Three Mile Island were horrific and the movies about Chernobyl were even worse, okay, so did like 10,000 people die, 100,000 people die? No, and not to discount their lives and the suffering they probably went through when they died, but only 31 people died in Chernobyl directly. I don't that. No, I'm getting yeah. that right now. The true death mm-hmm. toll of Chernobyl death is a little bit difficult to judge because there are more long-lasting health effects of radioactive pollution but the official death toll attributed to Chernobyl is only 31 people. I gotta stop fact checking you, science people. You were right again. <laughs> I'm 0 and 2 right now. Now they have plants that you, there is no way to start a meltdown because it has so many different safety regulations that will automatically shut the plant down if it reaches certain temperatures. It'll dump coolant into the into the core to stop the reaction if it, they lose control. In America, they. They make sure that they have the best people, most intelligent people they have working at these plants, and they don't lose control. Well, and it it seems like if Three Mile Island was strike one and Chernobyl was strike two, then uh, Fukushima was probably strike three. Now, I again, non-science person, one of y'all enlighten me so that I can either confirm or deny the theory that I have going here about nuclear getting a bad rep. Okay, so Fukushima was a tsunami that Mm -hmm. hit a nuclear power plant. It was an earthquake and a tsunami because tsunamis are caused by earthquakes. Sure, yeah. There was 120,000 homes that were completely destroyed and half a million were partially wrecked. About six to 7,000 people were injured and about 20,000 people died. That's horrible. Fukushima was was dramatically worse than Chernobyl was in terms of like lives lost. But there was a tsunami that went through 
that also killed people, not just the nuclear power plant is what a lot of people have talked about. Mm-hmm. That's just the problem of geography. I feel I was, like I was about to say, I, I don't really want to be like that person. I don't want to seem callous, but that kind of seems like a bad place to put a nuclear reactor in the first place. It is. And the Japanese government recognizes that. They were like, we should have thought about the fact that tsunamis are a common occurrence here. It was tragic and a lot of people lost their lives, but we have the ability to strategically place and locate our nuclear power plants so that they aren't hit by tsunamis. And also, most of the continental United States can have a nuclear reactor without worrying about a tsunami because it's not on the coast. Right. Okay, fair enough. We've kind of illustrated some of the issues here, I guess have floated around in the American public mind regarding safety and nuclear energy. But from a scientific standpoint, what do you think makes nuclear like, you know, in spite of all this, the fear mongering that's happened, what makes this the go-to clean energy? Well, currently, nuclear supplies half of the U.S.'s emissionless energy. And this is with only, I want to say, 90 active plants currently. They actually just finished construction on the first new nuclear power plant in Georgia for the first time in, I want to say, a decade or two. So it seems like even considering all the scaling back that happened in light of this fear-mongering, even though there are less power plants now than there might have been 10 or so years ago, or even than there potentially would have been because people are pretty afraid of nuclear. Even though there's a reduced number of nuclear reactors, they've still put a sizable dent in providing the amount of energy needed to power the United States. Absolutely. That's one of the things about nuclear energy that I love is that it is incredibly efficient. And it's even getting more efficient because we're able to recycle fuel. We're starting to have research come out about the ability to recycle the nuclear cores that are being used to power these nuclear power plants. So we'd even have less nuclear waste. And if nuclear waste is a concern of yours, just think about how much waste a coal power plant pumps out or even a a natural gas power plant. Those power plants produce way more potent and in terms of size and magnitude waste into the atmosphere and into the, the rest of the environment than a nuclear power plant would. So it's incredibly efficient. It doesn't produce greenhouse gases. Even the waste that it does produce can be recycled. What would be y'all's argument in favor, like scientifically speaking, like I can tell you from personal experience what my argument would be, and it wouldn't be scientifically based necessarily. I guess what would your scientific argument be as people who are environmentally science savvy as to why nuclear would be the preferred option over, say, like solar or wind or something like that? This is... The false dichotomy that is presented to us by fossil fuel companies is that Mm. we either have to go nuclear or we have to go renewable, whereas I think they complement each other rather well, whereas nuclear provides a consistent, stable output that can meet our our nighttime demand, which is usually much lower than our daytime demand, and can hover at that 30% level for for energy supply, where solar and wind can pick up when there's sun, when there's wind and supply the extra energy that we can use. But it's important to have that stable base. Otherwise, our energy balance becomes too flexible and too unpredictable. It becomes hard to manage. You want your energy supply to be consistent and be predictable so that you can shift energy around, control where it's going, and you don't want to overload the grid. Mm. Well, and Hannah, I want to key in on something you said earlier. You mentioned that some folks are concerned about whether or not the waste from nuclear power plants is safe. Did you say that they've like started finding a way to make that safer? Is that what you were saying? 
So they're actually recycling nuclear waste. Oh. So it basically just doesn't end up leaving the nuclear power plant. It's just being recycled. As conservatives, we love innovation, especially when it's spurred by the free market. So the fact that a lot of nuclear scientists, based on what you guys have told me, a lot of the nuclear energy folks have found ways to like continue to innovate to make it more efficient. It's not just good because it's not bad. It can be better. <laughs> like we, We've got the ability to make it better. Yeah. And like Hannah was saying, we could follow France's example where they get something like 65 to 70% of their energy from nuclear. And what they do, like Hannah was talking about, is they use the breeder reactors, which is take and take the old nuclear waste and reuse, reprocess it, reuse it to generate energy again. And it significantly reduces the amount of nuclear waste and significantly reduces the amount of time that the waste is actually radioactive. So reducing oh, wow. on storage costs and, and reducing um, long-term planning for this waste. That is incredible. I wasn't in its backyard like you were, Zach, but I had mentioned earlier that my argument wouldn't be scientific as much as it would be, I guess, a social or even a fiscal argument. I grew up about an hour away from Russellville, Arkansas, which to a lot of people might not mean anything, but it's the home of Arkansas Nuclear One. It's the nuclear reactor here in the state. And that nuclear reactor pretty much put Russellville on the map. There's a growing community there. There's a college there. That nuclear reactor powers uh, either, don't quote me on this, either 20 to 25% of the state's energy, uh, as quoted by some of the, the state's energy sources. For Arkansas in particular, it really prevented a brain drain. It not only put this town on the map, but kept people from leaving. And in fact, it enticed people in, from all over the region and all over the country engineers, nuclear engineers in particular, into coming to Russellville with their families and setting up there. And I know people whose grandparents were engineers at Arkansas Nuclear One. One of the arguments I hear all the time is that, oh, well, nuclear is bad if you're a rural farming community. No, because Arkansas is one of the biggest ag states in the union. And clearly, these two things are working hand in hand. In fact, it probably works better in areas like this where the grid is already set up a little bit weird uh, because of the rural nature of the state. Even though I don't know the science behind Arkansas Nuclear One, I do know that it makes jobs. It keeps people from leaving. It entices people to come here, spend their money here, grow their families here. That's good enough for me as a conservative. Nuclear has the potential to really boost the economy, especially in those STEM fields. As someone who loves to see job growth and economic growth, I am game for that, 100%. This is why nuclear energy is so American. It's been around five, six, seven decades. We, we've had a chance to be familiar enough with it to innovate to improve it. For me, that sets it apart from so many other things. It's been so pivotal for multiple generations, not just here in Russellville, Arkansas, but all across the country, a lot of people like to act like like nuclear is not American. A lot of the opposition on the left likes to act like this is a foreign thing. You know, you bring up nuclear energy and they're like, I, I don't know her. Yes, you do. You do. So for me, it, it would just be ridiculous to throw all of that accumulated knowledge away when it's clearly doing something for our state and for our country. Absolutely. I'm 100% there for that. Let's talk a little bit more like internationally. Mm. nuclear power really has the potential to make the United States a completely energy independent country. Mm -hmm. In a lot of conservative circles and environmentalism, that's something that I talk about a lot is energy independent. Mm -hmm. We care a lot about making sure that we're not relying on communist countries for our energy supply. 
this last year, we saw an increase in the gas bill because we were all relying on foreign oil. That's a really bad strategy if we want to make sure that our economy is protected from increases in the price of foreign oil. It's important to look at like our examples of countries that have transitioned away from nuclear, such as Japan and Germany following the Chernobyl and Fukushima accidents. When Germany transitioned away, they became much more reliant on imports of natural gas and oil from Russia, putting a huge part of their economy reliant on this one nation with ambiguous uh, connections. It's bit them. It's hurt them significantly with Russia acting out now and starting a war with Ukraine. Germany's energy supply has been cut off. They've had a lot of economic problems trying to boost their um, energy outputs and find new sources of energy. Being reliant on these foreign sources of fossil fuels is a huge threat to national security and is very damaging for any nation that gets stuck in that situation. This is something I could go on about for years. And of course, dear listener, I will spare you years worth of dialogue here. But for me personally, as a blue collar conservative in a rural state, I am so sick of paying at the pump for the poor decisions of energy management across the world. Literally Russia last year screwed everything up for all of these countries who didn't just want to have their own source of energy. And we felt repercussions of that here at home. Hard working nine to five people who don't have the money to spare at the pump paid the price for us just not having our own source of energy here at home, for other countries not having their own sources of energy in their country. If we were not so reliant on foreign dictators to make this country work, that is the key of any conservative argument for why nuclear is the way to go and why it should be domestic so that something like that does not hurt the people in the wallet at the gas pump ever again. As someone who's very conservative, I don't like communism. And so why are we financially supporting communist dictators by purchasing their foreign oil? When we have the technology and 100% the ability to make sure that we're not reliant on that whatsoever. If we were reliant on ourselves for something like that, we wouldn't have to worry about who sets the price or why the price is the way that it is. Because it would come down to us. The more that the ball is in our court, the less we have to worry about external affairs or, you know, what is going on in Eastern Europe. Right now, it seems that authoritarian nations such as Saudi Arabia, Russia, Venezuela, all have the control over this oil through OPEC and can set the prices they want, cut production of oil and raise up gas prices across the globe. And it's a shame that we've become reliant on the source of energy from these authoritarian countries, which share none of our values, are all absolutely terrible. We are rewarding them with our dollars and we protect them with our military because we're reliant on them for this energy. So moral of the story, next time you wince at the gas pump, remember that nuclear is safe, American, and green. And tell your your representatives that. (laughs) Yeah, don't just tell me. Call your representatives and let them know. (laughs) Absolutely. I could talk about this for years. So, listeners, we will have more nuclear episodes in the future where we will continue to flesh this out. So you can email us with your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, anything you want to send us about. You can email us info at greenteapartyradio.com. We have a book recommendation for you, A Bright Future, How Some Countries Have Solved Climate Change and the Rest Can Follow, written by Joshua S. Goldstein, Stefan A. Kvist, and Steven Pinker. 
Thank you for listening to Green Tea Party Radio, and a very special thank you to all of our patrons. We couldn't do this without you. If you're interested in getting early access to episodes as well as Green Tea Party Radio merch, check us out at greenteapartyradio.com. If you have feedback, tell us what's on your mind and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I had four cats and I hope that you guys didn't hear them, but my landlord doesn't know. So don't <laughs> yeah, let my landlord know I have cats. Don't call Hannah's landlord at <laughs> this phone number and let them know how many, <laughs> how many cats Hannah has. Well, my cat gave birth and so she was kind of like a Russian nesting doll cat and I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. Didn't you think it was a boy cat too? Wasn't his name like Walter? When I adopted... The cat from the shelter, they told me I was adopting a neutered male cat. And I came home from work and my cat was giving birth. Well, it sounds like Homer Simpson was working at the animal shelter as well. So, <laughs> Absolutely. hundred percent. Oh, guys, you guys are the best. Thanks so much for doing this with me. <laughs> thanks, everybody. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for listening.